the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The prosperity gospel. That comes with a lot of different baggage, doesn't it? I mean, you say that to a group of people. People have got opinions. Some people love the idea of it. Other people want to run far afield from it. Of course, a lot of people have, uh, a lot of pastors have built entire careers around it and live very well within the umbrella of the prosperity gospel. Costi Hinn is with us. Costi's uncle is Benny Hinn, and, and if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably know that name, Benny Hinn. But Costi Hinn, as the nephew, he's got a brand new workout right now, and uh, it is called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life Built on Lies. Pastor, welcome to the show. We're grateful you're with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Costi, let's talk first about the prosperity gospel. I'm sure a lot of our listeners maybe have heard the term, but people don't know quite what it means. What does it mean to you? In the simplest of terms, I would say the prosperity gospel is the idea that if you believe in Jesus Christ and you're a Christian, then you are privy to health, wealth, and happiness, and essentially that John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus says that he came to offer life and life more abundantly, the prosperity gospel takes that verse to mean that being a Christian means the abundant life is going to lead to lots of money in the bank, that job promotion, uh, a perfect family, a happy life, and a lot of comfort and very little suffering. I see. Costi, how do you get to that point um, when you look at the life of Jesus, who was poor, didn't have a place to lay his head, you know, died, uh, crucified in front of his friends, um, in front of his mom. And then you, you look at what happened to the apostles. This, you know, you, you look in the book of Acts, there was so much suffering. How do we get from those stories to a, a gospel of prosperity? Yeah, I think you have to do what I would call some interpretive gymnastics with certain Bible verses, where you take things and you twist them a certain way so you can present your own idea. So maybe taking the abundant life that Jesus talked about and simply focusing on the word abundance and applying that to what we would consider abundance today and saying Jesus doesn't want you to be poor. He doesn't want you to be uh, jobless and to have a lower position at your company. He wants you to have a high position. You're a champion. And ignoring all the other passages, like you said, about suffering, about life being hard, and then another way would be taking passages in the Old Testament where God is speaking specifically to Israel in a moment, or maybe there's a promise to a specific person that is literal to that person, and saying God did it for him, God wants to do it for all of us. And so the prosperity gospel put word, puts words in God's mouth very often, in, in things that God just didn't say are said to be from God. I see. So, Costi, let's talk about you and, of course, your uncle, Benny Hinn. Uh, in, in reading about you earlier today, I'm reading an article from Christianity Today, you say this, that, quote, growing up in the Hinn family empire was like belonging to some hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. 
Our lifestyle was lavish, our loyalty was enforced, and our version of the gospel was big business. Can you describe um, entering into that empire that Benny Hinn has? Um, Obviously, your father and um, uh, Benny Hinn brothers, and at some point you became became, um, part of um, the event. Uh, what, What was your title, please? Yeah, I was a personal assistant, and what that meant was I carried my uncle's luggage, uh, his, his Louis Vuitton suitcases, his briefcase. I checked in and out of hotel rooms for our team. I made sure that he was well taken care of and was kind of his uh, his Timothy, so to speak, and, and he was the Paul. And um, in, in, in our circles, we would refer to that more like being an Elisha to Elijah before the mantle falls on you. And the belief system is, if you serve the man of God, and you are loyal, and you are faithful, his mantle will fall on you, and you'll receive a double portion, and you'll go on to have a greater ministry. And that's what kept getting prophesied over me, is that as a nephew in the family and the oldest son in the next generation, we're a Middle Eastern family, so even culturally this fits the bill for Middle Eastern culture, I was supposed to be the next in line to carry on the family tradition. I see. So, uh, again, I'm going to go back to this article because you, you described this so well. You said, during your teenage years, you'd travel nearly twice a month with your uncle, Benny Hinn. Prosperity theology paid amazingly well. We lived in a 10,000-square-foot mansion guarded by a private gate, drove two Mercedes-Benz vehicles, vacationed in exotic destinations, shopped at the most expensive stores. On top of that, we bought a $2 million Ocean View home in Dana Point, California, where another Benz joined the fleet. We were abundantly blessed. Yeah, our lifestyle was like that of a celebrity or a famous athlete. And the only thing was it was all based on donations. And along the way, we would just buy anything we wanted. And so we shopped on Rodeo Drive when we lived in California, and we would uh, shop other places and go to Versace or go to Louis Vuitton and just buy whatever we wanted. And one thing that would often happen is, is money got low, and as we lavishly spent and overspent, the solution was very simple in our mind, and even our ministry teams knew this, is it would be time to go back on the road or time to go on the air and begin to solicit large donations. And so what we would do is say, hey, we're going to Nigeria, or we're going to the Philippines, or we've got a crusade coming up. We want you to give your best offering, and we want we want to pay for this event in cash because we're taking the gospel around the world. And so people would give in massive amounts, and often that would recover the lavish spending. It would purchase more things and materialistic wants that we desired, and also cover some of the costs of the event. So there's a lot of things going on on the inside, but all of it is driven by greed. I see. So living this lifestyle, Costi, were were you ever afraid? Did you ever fear God to think, oh my gosh, I mean, people are giving all these giant sums of money, and here I am, you know, wearing Louis Vuitton and all that, and staying in all these plush places. Meanwhile, people are giving me these sums of money or giving Benny Hinn all this money. It feels duplicitous. Did you ever feel that way? Sometimes there would be questions, but the way that we would justify it, and I, even if I asked a question or seemed hesitant, my father, my uncle, our family would rally into these moments of clarity for all of us who were following. And they would say, listen, yes, the news organizations and some of those 
you know, dead Christian denominations that aren't like ours, like we would say that Baptists are dead and other people are dead churches, they're just critical because of our anointing, and they're just jealous because we're blessed by God. But we are providing a critical and valuable service to the body of Christ. We're the middlemen. We're bringing the anointing to people's lives. We're bringing hope and faith and healing to people's lives who are down in the dumps and have no hope. We're the middleman here, and so it makes sense that the laborer is worthy of his wages, that God blesses us as we're a blessing to others. And so again, it's taking Bible verses, and it's swinging them to the extreme to say that we should always be blessed and healthy and wealthy. So was any of that true? I would say, from everything that I saw, we were exploiting the poor and we were exploiting the rich. And often there would be these questions lingering in my mind, at least, and I know the minds of some of my family members because I've talked to them in recent years, that we were going way too far. And should we encourage people to be generous? Of course, that's a biblical principle. Should we pray and ask God for healing? Of course. But should we also teach the balance, which is that there are going to be moments of suffering, that there are going to be times where God heal, that He is a sovereign God, and that there are going to be poor people in this world. Is everybody just going to have everything they ever want? No, we need to teach the balance that the Bible shows. And our world was one extreme after another, and in the end, I never saw a true and genuine healing. I never saw someone really lose their uh, their 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 wheelchair and just run, go running down an aisle and it was legitimate. I never saw somebody who was on their deathbed with cancer suddenly come alive and just be completely and totally healed. I believe that God heals. I absolutely believe that He could do all those things, but it was not something that was happening in our world, but we were producing a television program with professional editors, staffs, and employees uh, by the tens who were paid to produce something that would look very good on TV and solicit more donations. Costa, you're, you're saying that you never, in all of those years, in spite of the fact that the Hinn ministry was based on the idea that people were healed, you never actually saw someone healed? I never saw one person healed. Did it feel like fraud? As I got older, it did. I remember one moment specifically where there was a little girl and she was brought to the back of the stadium into the green room and she had a a very enlarged and deformed head and later on in life i i had visited orphanages and and i saw children that looked like that and i realized that that was that at that moment this was a child who was severely deformed and they brought her the back and we prayed for her and i just remember looking she was in a long stretcher uh, on wheels that wheeled her back and i was weeping as a as a teenager later in my teenage years and i remember going back to my hotel room that night and i was so mad at god and i was i was kind of yelling into my pillow why 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 can't you heal her why didn't it work and that was a moment that was very painful and i remember in india seeing people that were literally in the dirt in this field while we were on stage and very protected by multiple metal barricades. And these people, when I went down there to visit with my father, who was working in the healing lines that night, they were on stretchers and they were on their last hope. And you could just tell it looked like a war zone down there. And 
nobody was getting healed. And as I got older, the Lord used those moments to cause me to ask big questions. If God is a healer, and if we're guaranteeing healing, then I should be seeing at least some, and in our prophecies we would say all, it's always God's will to heal everybody. I should be seeing real, genuine healings, and we weren't. It was always just a big story that wasn't actually genuine and true. Kosti Hinn is with us. His new work is called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life Built on Lies. So, Kosti, at what point was there ever a point where you approached your father or Benny Hinn directly and said, you know what, Uh, this is not working for me. I don't feel the truth of this. I need to step away. I never questioned it that directly and in that extreme of a way, I would approach it much different because I was so fearful of them. So I would ask questions like, you know, to my father or my uncle, um, why didn't that girl get healed? Or, or what, what do you think was happening there? You know, I would ask genuine questions as a humble, lowly nephew, yes. um, revering these men of God. And they would explain, well, sometimes people don't have enough faith, and sometimes people have sin, and so there's a blockage. Or sometimes people have negative confession, or they aren't really believing. And if I press too far, I would be told, now we want to be careful, because we can certainly wonder and have some questions, but we never want to touch the Lord's anointed, and we don't want to put God in. Those two phrases mean is, number one, you don't ever severely and critically question the man of God. Mm -hmm. That's touching the Lord's anointed. And what that, of course, is from the Old Testament, when they were not to kill or slaughter or assassinate monarchical kings in the lineage of... of So the Lord said, don't kill my king, don't touch my prophets, don't bring harm to them. So we would take that nowadays and say, touching them is talking about them, criticizing them, anything like that. So I was told, touch not the Lord's anointed, don't even question and don't put God in a box. In other words, you can't figure him out. Don't try to ask every question and have it always answered. You can't put God in a box. There's some things we don't understand. And so to that, I would never say this because I didn't want to argue and push back and be cursed. Sure. Because that's what could happen. But in my mind, I would think, well, then if we don't want to put God in a box, then why do we guarantee things? But then those things don't actually happen, but we're supposed to be prophets. How does this work? And so I keep those thoughts to myself. Costi, you met your wife, and um, she became a part of your family. Talk about what that was like, and then what that started to mean for you. Yeah, my wife uh, drove a little Toyota Yaris, and I drove a big Hummer. Um, <laughs> she was putting herself through school, working at TGI Fridays, and I had only ever flown on private planes, basically working with my uncle and living the high life. Her parents are very blue-collar, hard-working people, and I was a prosperity gospel heir. So we couldn't have been more opposite. And the Lord started using that because my family was hesitant at first to accept her, but then once they realized I was emboldened to marry this girl, the fix was on. And so they char- they started trying to fix her. Um, we taught that you had to speak in tongues as evidence of your salvation. And so they said, well, she doesn't speak in tongues, so she doesn't have the Holy Spirit, so we need to get her to speak in tongues. We need to get this girl spirit-filled. And so they started doing that, trying to get her to do that, and there was a lot of coaching and a lot of things that were not genuine. 
but we weren't sure what to what to do with all that and how to because we had never really understood sound biblical teaching. And then we took her to my uncle's service and more, all the while trying to get this girl to become like the Hin family. And in the end, none of it was working. And one day we turned to a passage in First Corinthians twelve where Paul in verse thirty says, Not all do they, and he's talking about tongues and other gifts, saying not everybody's going to do all of these things, so you, you know, it, it's, it's a variety of gifts. Sure. And so we, we started seeing dominoes fall, thinking maybe we don't have to speak in tongues to be saved, and maybe everyone's going to have different gifts, and not everybody has to do all these things. And that was a huge crack in the dam, so to speak, mm, of our theology. Costi Hinn is with us, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life Built on Lies. So, Costi, tell us the story of stepping away. How did you extract yourself? I mean, you you know, you write that the Hinn family in some ways was like the mafia. You're not leaving the mafia. At least you're not leaving it in one piece. Yeah. Um, it ended up being that a church plant in California offered me a job helping with the youth. Nothing fancy, just come on out here. And I used it as a segue when we were getting married. My wife and I split off from the family. And what my family thought is maybe this will be healthy. He get out of his system. We're, we were having some disagreement. And they thought, well, maybe this will be good. He can go and learn and, and go on his own, and then eventually we'll all re- reunite. Well, I get there, and the pastor begins to disciple me and walk with me. And then he says, I need you to preach. And so I am given the opportunity to preach, and then my pastor says, hey, here's a commentary by a real trusted theologian. This will help you keep the train on the tracks in your study. And so I thought, okay, so here this commentary hits my desk by some guy named John MacArthur, and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's fine. And I don't even know anything about John MacArthur. I don't know that you know him and my uncle— we're at odds or any of the theologies are different. I just thought, okay, a commentary. I've never used one. Well, I don't even turn to the commentary yet. As I start to study John 5, 1 through 17, which is the passage that was on the schedule. Somebody was going to preach it. It happened to be me. And it's the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So I'm thinking, well, I'm a hen. I can nail this. It's a passage on healing. I, I got this. I got this down. So I start studying, and I was taught to make observations of the text and begin to ask questions of the text. That's what my pastor had taught me. And so I'm looking, and Jesus singles one guy out of a multitude. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. He didn't heal everybody and and make a big deal about healing everybody. He healed this one guy this time. And then I go on, and John records Jesus saying, arise, pick up your pallet, and walk. And John records immediately the man was healed. So I thought, no process no go on believing, no music, no atmosphere. The Lord just sovereignly healed him. And then the Pharisees see this guy, and they say, who told you you can pick up your pallet and walk? It's the Sabbath. You can't work. You can't do that, basically. And the man says, the man who healed me told me I could. And then John records, because he didn't know who Jesus was, and the word he used basically is he didn't even perceive who Jesus was. So I'm confused at this point, thinking, he didn't know who Jesus was. Well, then how did he have enough faith to get healed? If God healed him, but he didn't know who Jesus was, he, he, how do you get healed and not know who Jesus is? You're supposed to know who he is so you can have enough faith to get healed. So I'm confused as ever. I open the commentary thinking there's something there. And 
John MacArthur writes about the sovereignty of God and the ministry of Christ and his sovereign power to heal. And he says, here is an example of Christ's sovereign power in action. A man who had no faith, he didn't even know him, and Jesus, in his sovereign authority, love and compassion and mercy, decides to heal this one man who would have been the most undeserving and unlikely candidate. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, the sovereignty of God. Yes. And I had had people like a coach in college who used to tell me about the sovereignty of God, and I used to think he was crazy, because in prosperity theology, you know, we're sovereign. My confession is sovereign. My faith is sovereign. And so I keep and MacArthur goes on to say, you know, that the cruelest lie of faith healers today is that people who they fail to heal are guilty of negative confession and unbelief, but God is sovereign in healing, and that's the truth. And I begin to cry. I realized that was us. That's what I used to believe, and I repented of my sin there in study and vowed that I would preach the gospel and live for the true gospel for the rest of my life. Journey began. And Costi, how long ago was that? That was almost seven years ago. Wow. Wow. And so your relationship now with, so to speak, the Godfather? Uh, pretty fractured. The last time we saw each other was at my grandmother's funeral in 2016. Um, there's been plenty of internal discussion throughout the family, um, from uncles, even my own grandmother, many pleadings within the, the private circles um, before much went public. And this has kind of gone on for years behind the scenes. But um, we are prayerful and hopeful as long as my uncle is still breathing that he would repent and be an illustration of God's grace. Even even for somebody who's in their 60s, it's the fourth quarter of his life, it's not over yet, and that's my prayer. Well, Costi, we're thrilled for you, seriously. I mean, you sound like a man who's found freedom. Is that true? Absolutely. When the Bible says that the truth will set us free, I, I sleep great at night, I, I wake thankful for God's grace. It's nothing I did. I was undeserving. And so every day to me is a gift, and I really am free and, and free indeed. Yeah. Fabulous. We're rejoicing with you. We certainly are, Costi. Thank you so much for your for your clarity and your transparency. Uh, we didn't know what we were going to intersect with, but uh, we come away uh, knowing that God is good and is faithful and honest on your tongue. Thank you both so much. Keep it up. You keep it up as well. Costi Hinn, God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, How Truth Overwhelms a Life Built on Lies. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.